Hello and welcome to the Strikeout Central Podcast. I am your host, Michael. Here we are at episode number 15 of the podcast, and this is going to be the season finale of the first year of the podcast. We've done through one year already. That seems crazy to me. In addition to this podcast, please follow the blog at strikeoutcentral.blogspot.com for daily baseball posts. Now, let's take a look at some of the moves that have taken place since the last episode of the podcast came out. The Oakland A's brought in some relief help, signing Sergio Romo, Yusmero Petit, and Trevor Rosenthal to aid their bullpen, and brought in Mitch Moreland to add to the infield depth. Cubs added to their bullpen as well by bringing back Ryan Tapera and signing free agent closer Brandon Workman. The Mets signed another outfielder in Kevin Pillar and another starting pitcher in Taiwan Walker. The D-backs recently signed veteran reliever Tyler Clippard. The Royals signed outfielder Gerard Dyson, and they extended utility player Hunter Dozier. And also, the important one, spring training games have begun all across baseball with great games in Arizona and Florida getting into full swing. All right, so now I'd like to welcome today's guest, uh, Red Sox reporter Ian Brown for MLB.com. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing just fine. All right. So we'll start off with this. You're in Fort Myers for Red Sox spring training. Um, so how is covering spring training this time around sort of different than last year before the whole world shut down? Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot different. Uh, there's just, uh, you know, to start at the for the first couple of weeks, uh, the first week or so of spring training before the game started, you know, usually there's fans uh, at the workouts in the backfields. So there were no fans there. So it was really kind of a, a ghost town feel to it. Um, everybody, all the, re- there's a very small amount of media here compared to what there usually is. Um, we're all wearing masks all day long, whether you're uh, in the ballpark or even walking around the backfields, you're required to have a mask on. So yeah, it's a different, uh, it's, a, it's a different feeling for sure. And that the access with the players, you know, we're on that same system we were in last year. Um, during the regular season where pretty much all interviews are conducted by zoom. Um, the team has made an effort to facilitate some socially distanced one-on-one interviews that I've actually done, um, you know, sitting in the monster seats, which is kind of cool. Um, so yeah, it's, di- it's different, but uh, you know, it feels, uh, I'd say it feels a little more normal than last season during the regular season, especially now that, We've started games and there's, there's at least fans allowed uh, in the ballpark at JetBlue at about, uh, I think it's 20, uh, 25% capacity. Yeah, fans in the ballpark, that was, um, I'm going to guess that was almost a sight for sore eyes. Yeah, it's funny. I, um, you know, I, I went to the first game Sunday again at uh, the Twins Complex. And so that was the first time, you know, I had seen fans at a Red Sox game since last spring training. And then, uh, you know, the next day was the home opener and I saw Sam Kennedy, the team president, um, outside and he said, oh, I think, uh, I think I'm going to cry. And it didn't connect for me. And he's and I was like, oh, why? He's like, oh, just because there's fans here. So it was just, uh, you know, it's just such a, a weird feeling. And obviously uh, not to have fans at Fenway last year was one of the most uh, eerie thing I've seen in my career just to be like in an empty. Fenway Parker from the press box you know I could hear players um, in the visiting dugout 
um, cheering when their teammate hit a home run. <clears throat> I mean, you could literally hear the players cheering for each other um, from the press box all the way down to the dugout. So that, that's how kind of strange it was last year. Oh, yeah. Um, that, that probably took some getting used to. <laughs> that sure did. All right. So it, in between last season when that ended and now we're in spring training, the Red Sox, of course, made some acquisitions and subtractions, even though they weren't all of them necessarily front page headline attention grabbers. Um, they added guys like Kike Hernandez, who homered today in the spring training game, uh, Hunter Renfro, Marwin Gonzalez, and Garrett Richards, just, just among others. Uh, let's, so let's just talk about some of these guys and what their roles might be in the organization this year. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I actually, you know, just to start a kind of a general thought, I actually kind of like the, uh, the moves they made uh, this winter. I, not, nothing glitzy, like you said, but they built a much more, uh, much deeper team. And that's both, um, you know, on the position player side and, uh, you know, on the, on the pitching side. So I like what, what Heimblum have done. Are they moves that you make when your team is on the verge of winning a World Series? Probably not. But are they moves you make when you want to get your team back in the playoff hunt and back in the competitive mode that, you know, quite frankly, you know, they weren't in last year? Yeah, I like those moves. So to start, I think that, um, you know, Kike Hernandez is a guy that uh, Alex Gore said he's going to challenge him to kind of become a better hitter than he's been in the past. Uh, and Cora, to me, seems like he's leading toward leading off uh, Kike Hernandez. He thinks there's a much better hitter than what he's shown in his career. He's challenged him to be more aggressive, and you saw that with the home run today. And it kind of reminds me of when, uh, you know, Cora first took over for the Red Sox, and he kind of challenged Andrew Bogarts to become a better player. So I think, like, in a way, Alex Cora is their, their best addition because just what he brings brings out in players. But, uh, you know, I like Hernandez. You know, Renfro is a guy who is going to, um, you know, he's going to rake against lefties. And now that Benintendi's been traded, you might need to see a little bit more from him against righties if he wants to stay in the lineup. Uh, of course, the Franchi Cordero, who's a tools monster, you know, from whatever we haven't seen him yet. Michael, because he had uh, COVID-19, so he hasn't um, he hasn't cleared all the protocols and reported to camp yet, but really looking forward to getting an eye on him because everyone thinks he can be a pretty good player uh, if he can stay on the field, which he's had a real problem doing is staying on the field and staying healthy. So that's a guy that, you know, bears watching, I think. And uh, uh, Marwin Gonzalez, of course, he is very versatile. You know, he, like Kike, um, he's going to play all over the field. Uh, the difference is I think that Kike is really going to settle in as the primary second baseman. You might see him in center field a little bit, but you know, you're going to see Marvin Gonzalez playing. Uh, you're going to see him play the corner outfield. You're going to see him at third. You're going to see him at first. Uh, you might see him at second or short sometimes. So he's just going to kind of be, I mean, a roving guy. He's a rear switch hitter who he's not a great hitter, but he's decent on both sides of the plate. And he doesn't have one side that he's about equal on both sides of the plate. So I think that could be a real uh, a value add for him. So I think that, uh, you know, that covers us on the position play player side. Uh, pitching, the biggest really gamble they made was uh, Garrett Richards signing him to a $10 million contract because, you know, his career is very similar to Nathan Avaldi's. We always hear about the great stuff he has. And he's never really just, of course, he had the injuries like Avaldi has and just never totally put it together yet. Um, but they they like some of his peripherals. They like his spin rate and all that. 
So let's see. We're going to get out of Garrett Richards. You know, they're, they're looking at him as their number three starter um, until Chris Sale gets back. And then in the bullpen, they've added um, Adam Adovino, who's just a real uh, quality reliever. You know, he's been around for a long time, a lot of experience. He's going to be competing, it looks like, with Matt Barnes for the closing position. So we'll see. Um, you know, obviously, Adovino's familiar with the AL East, which helps having been with the Yankees the last couple of years. And then uh, uh, Hirokazu, I'm sorry, I'm still getting this, this name, Hirokazu Sawamura, the righty they signed, uh, the righty reliever they signed from Japan. He had a great second half for the uh, Chibolote Marines last year. And he's a guy who's, uh, he's a veteran in the minor leagues. It kind of reminds me of when they brought, you know, uh, Hideki Okajima in back in 2007, where he wasn't really that well known. He wasn't even a, really a superstar in Japan, but uh, he was kind of a, a nice piece of the puzzle on Okajima and went on to do big things for the Red Sox. And now um, Sawamura, you know, they're hoping that he could be a key part of their bullpen, right? Along with Barnes and Adav Matt Barnes and Adovino. Uh, Darwinson, Hernandez, and Salamora, they look at those as probably their four key relievers this year. Yeah, as a Red Sox fan myself, I I also enjoyed these moves. I think they were good, and I'm particularly about the pitching more so. I'm feeling a lot better about how it looks this time around as opposed to last year when nothing went right at all. Yeah, well, I mean, last year they had a, you know, even going into spring training, they had a small margin for error. They just needed everything was going to need to go right for them to have a good year. And really, um, if you remember, Chris Sale and Eduardo Rodriguez were going to be the linchpins of that staff. And even after trading Mookie Best, they said, well, if Sale and Rodriguez can, um, you know, can stay healthy, they could have a pretty competitive team. But what happens? You know, you lose Sale in spring training. He has a Tommy John. He doesn't throw a pitch. Then, uh, you know, COVID happens. You think you're going to have, um, Eduardo Rodriguez is your staff ace and pitching on opening day. And then he gets COVID-19 before the summer camp even started. And that really put him on a, you know, from a bad position. And then he, you know, he gets tired. throwing. So he reports to camp about two weeks late um, because of the COVID. And then he gets fatigued throwing his first bullpen session. So that was a red flag. So then they do further tests and it turns out he has a heart condition, which um, a lot of people have, you know, pretty much related that to the COVID-19. That's one of the after effects that I think about 10% of people who get COVID, they get this myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart. So boom, then you don't have Rodriguez for the season. And they just, Bloom just had taken a flyer on a bunch of waiver pickups and just a bunch of guys that they were relying too much on these guys. So um, there were just, um, you didn't know who was going to start the game half the time. You know, you had, uh, you had Evaldi and you had Martin Perez. And then they tried to make Ryan Weber, the number three starter. He had never really been, uh, he had pretty much been in the, he's a soft serving pitcher, 88 mile an hour guy. He pretty much pitched his whole career in the minor leagues. So just to think that he could be the number three starter, you know, I think they gave up on that after two or three starts. So you were had, you had Perez and Evaldi. That was your entire rotation. And then Evaldi, if you remember, I think it was about a month into the season. He gets a, a quad injury or a, or a calf injury or something. So then it's just basically Martin Perez is your starting rotation. And then you're mixing in Chris Mazza and Mike Kickham and uh, Matt, Matt Hall and, uh, you know, Zach Godley. And who the hell are these guys? It was bizarre. I was watching a AAA team play baseball at Fenway Park. And it was just like this was – I've been covering the Red Sox for 20 years now. And that was the only time in my entire time covering the Red Sox where they just – 
they didn't feel the major league representative pitching staff. And it was really, you know, coupled that with um, Darwinson Hernandez and Josh Taylor also getting COVID, which depleted the bullpen. And just watching that pitching staff was like nothing I've ever seen. It was, it was surreal. It really was. I just can't explain how depressing it was to watch that team play baseball last year. Oh yeah. It really felt like the 2020 Red Sox was, was basically a game of like, of who's who. Like nobody knew who anybody was. Like, yeah. You know, usually you take a flyer on guys like this and um, a few of them will work out. Well, I think Phillips Valdez was maybe like the one guy who sort of worked out and uh, Mazza was okay. But the rest of these guys, they, they, they stunk, you know, Zach Godley, he stunk, you know, Ryan Weber, he was terrible. Um, what was another guy? Robert Stock. He was awful. <laughs> Just like every guy, like he took a flyer on, like none of it, seemed to work out and then you had this whole thing where it was a 60 game season so you weren't giving guys as long looks as you normally would and you felt like you had to sort of panic and you had a manager and Renicky who was in a weird situation taking Cora's uh, vacated positions so it was just such a weird deal um, and it was like you just had a hangover over the Mookie Betts trade you know you had JD Martinez just having a terrible season and it was just like basically anything that could go wrong went wrong and you look at last year aside from Alex I think Alex Verdugo was really the breath, breath of fresh air um, for the 2020 Red Sox but look back on that season what else can you think of that was really like oh wow that was that was a bright spot oh yeah seriously I mean yeah other than Verdugo and the season ending I think that's pretty much all pretty much all that yeah, you know, Tanner Houck and um, Bobby Dahlbeck I think that was fun seeing those two guys go out there the last a uh, couple weeks to the season but yeah aside from that yeah there was just nothing there was no reason to um you know to want to watch that team last year and where i think it's going to be very different i think this year the bar has been lowered so much by what we saw this year that this year is going to seem exciting even though look they could be like this cute little um team that could contend and maybe third place if things if things go well but that's going to seem great um, because it's going to be watching a professional major league baseball team again which is not what we watched last year yeah, and obviously a couple a couple times recent you just mentioned Alex Cora. Uh, he's returning after a year off due to his uh, Astros suspension. Um, and in particular, Rafael Devers last season kind of took a step back defensively and a little bit offensively, but it was more so on the defensive side. So how how is how much is Cora going to really <laughs> affect these guys? more so Devers but really the whole team. yeah Michael you know what I was a Cora fan to begin with um and then you know you almost took for granted after a while like how much he got through to these players and just the way he the language and the way he talked to them especially um the Latin guys being able to speak their language and just what he was able to you know ask from these guys and he has a knack for being um a friend to some you know like a father figure to others a brother to others and just like has such a way that when he came back this year, you really saw that again. And you were like, wow, this guy really kind of binds people together. And he's just a great, uh, he's great at bringing an organization together and just kind of a galvanizing factor. You sort of, um, you know, you forgot how good he was almost. So that's even been, you know, just seeing him back again. And I think he's energized also from having the year off. And obviously, you know, he feels bad about what he did in Houston. And I think that he's been, um, very well spoken on that and just saying like, look, I screwed up. He's not hiding from it. He's not trying to make any excuses. He said, it's part of, 
you know, he said, it's part of my story. It's going to be part of my story. And there's nothing you can do about that now, but just kind of, you know, write new chapters. And that's what he's doing right now. This guy, um, I think he's very refreshed after not being, not being in the dugout last year. Uh, I think he's going to have a real positive impact on this team. And that's why I think that the team, you know, some people think they're like an 80 to 82 win team. Um, I think that he'll get them into the mid to high 80s just by his presence. Because I think that if they can stay healthy, I think that's what he's gonna, gonna, going to uh, get out of guys just by what he demands and what he's going to challenge them to do, you know, on a daily basis. Oh, yeah, no, I was I was also kind of in on Cora sort of when the season ended. I was like, yeah, he's probably just because like Renicky was there third manager in four years like dating back to 2017 with John Farrell like it was so Cora seemed like the best option just for some continuity yeah and it was really interesting to me because I think um well you and I and the players and ownership and people who had been around the team for Cora's first two years I think that we had all sort of you know it makes too much sense not to bring him back well Heim Bloom had didn't really have any history with Cora so he kind of went into it with a clean slate so he went into this with a completely open mind um, he interviewed you know four or five candidates before um, Cora's suspension with the MLB was even over if you remember he couldn't talk to I think Cora's suspension ended the day after the World Series so Bloom had gotten this whole field together he liked some of the people he interviewed and then he talked to Heim Bloom and they had some difficult conversations about what happened with Houston and about even what happened in Boston. And uh, they kind of had taken a step back. If you remember in the 2019 season, Bloom was kind of asking Cora, what happened there? Why do they drop off so much with that talent? So they, you know, Bloom really challenged him and Cora just, you know, <laughs> he blew him away in the interview. He really did it. It was funny. You know, I read one story where they, they did an interview, uh, you know, under an airport hangar and in, uh, in Puerto Rico. San, I think it was San Juan, Puerto Rico, and that was in the stifling heat. <laughs> that was where they had this interview where Alex Cora really talked his way back onto the Boston Red Sox. And I think that he does seem a little more humble this year. Um, I love Cora's whole attitude in 2018 where he would kind of admit when he screwed up. I think in 2019, sometimes you weren't getting, you know, you weren't getting him to admit some of the mistakes he made. Um particularly the way he managed the pitching staff in spring training. If you remember, he brought them along really slowly that spring and the team got off to a terrible start. Even the position players, he brought them, he really um, handled them with kid gloves at spring training of 19. And the, the team just really had a kind of a disjointed season. Um, and he's really learned from that. And I think that he's, um, you know, some of the mistakes he made, um, and then to be suspended, I think it humbled him. So I just think that he's more determined um, than ever right now. And he just really like, even like just the daily Zoom sessions with him have been really impressive. He's like even more on top of his game than he was in 2018, just talking to him and just the way he thinks out the game and the way he thinks about his decisions and the way he thinks about this roster. I mean, this guy, Michael, this guy doesn't have a lot of outside interest. This guy is baseball 24-7. He just, like, loves baseball. He loves thinking about the Red Sox. Even when he was suspended last year, you know, he said he's pretty much, you know, most people in that situation will be like, I need really to unplug and get away from this. He watched baseball every night. You know, that's how he spent his summer of 2020 in exile was watching baseball. That's how much he loves the game. Um, and, and he's also smart. I mean, his love for the game wouldn't mean as much if he wasn't so smart about the game. So I think that the Red Sox are lucky that they have um, such an excellent manager. And I think that, uh, you know, it's good that Heim Bloom kind of came to that realization 
through that interview process because um, I think his inclination almost was not to bring Cora back uh, at first. And I think that then he, the more he studied it and the more he did his due diligence, he was like, okay, so this is why everybody liked Alex Cora so much. It wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't just like a mirage. Oh yeah, no, that's all that. Yeah, that's all good. Um, but now, now we're going to shift a little more back towards the actual Red Sox roster. Um, obviously you mentioned earlier, the Andrew Benintendi trade that brought Frankie Cordero, a couple other guys to Boston, um, and a three-team trade with the Mets and the Royals. Um, Benintendi had a no good 2020, everything that could have possibly gone wrong for Benintendi went wrong for Benintendi. He had a bit of a down year in 2019. So I just kind of wanted to get your general thoughts on the trade. Like, was this the right time to trade him or should they have given him <clears throat> sort of a bounce back year to try to reassert himself? And if he didn't, maybe then you consider moving him. Yeah, Michael, it's a great question. And I think I was really mixed about it at the time. I still am. Um, but you were, you were taking a gamble either way, because if you brought Benintendi back, and he kind of did what he did even in 2019, let alone last. I don't really put any stock into what he did last year because it was like what a two and a half week season for him before he strained his rib cage and didn't uh, actually. It turned out he broke his rib. rib. He, they, they never told us this. He told he mentioned this on his, I think, on his conference call with the Royals when he was traded there that he actually broke his rib that night. Um, so we never we never got a sense of what he was going to be last year. But I think they just looked at this as the, you know we're trading a guy who has one year left of. Uh, club control um, after this year um, for a guy in Frenchy Franchi Cordero has two years of club control. Plus we're getting uh, another pitching prospect here and Josh Winkowski for the Mets. And I think it's still three players to be named later, if I'm not mistaken, that are still going to come back in that deal. So this is all about Bloom really trying to deepen his farm system that needed to be deep in the space. That was the one thing with Dave Dombrowski. They won the World Series. They won three division titles. Their farm system um, really took a hit to get to that point where they were so successful. Um, so I think that Bloom looked at this as, uh, you know, this is risk versus reward. And he uh, he liked uh you know, he, he likes this trade and that's all a lot of it's going to be contingent on what Franchi Cordero is if he's Willie if he's Willie Mopena and uh, Ben Attendee comes back and has a great year in Kansas City uh, maybe it wasn't a good move so you know Bloom was taking a little bit of a a, uh, a little bit of a gamble here so it's going to going to be very interesting to see how this plays out I think uh, Bloom has made a lot of his moves if you look at it Mike when he makes them you're like ah like even like the Mookie trade but then you see that Alex Verdugo is a pretty good player. You know, if you get Jeter Downs um, playing as good as they think he can, as he's the prospect he ends up being. Um, Connor Wong, he looks like he can be, a, you know, a serviceable major league player at some point. So Bloom he has, a, has a knack of, of making good moves, I think. that just It takes a while to grow on you. I mean, that Workman trade, I mean, if they get anything out of Pavetta, that's going to be a phenomenal trade because already Workman – you know, isn't with the Phillies anymore. Hembry, I think, is uh, had Tommy John or something, so he's not even even around. So they they've already basically won that trade if they get anything from from Pavetta, and then they have Connor Siebold, the other pitcher acquired, and then you look at the Mitch Moreland trade he made, where he got some promising prospects from the Padres. So I think that he's quietly kind of building this team back up. Um, and like you said, nothing spectacular so far. We started putting them in position to when they're ready, they'll be able to add kind of those those big chips that you need uh, to be a World Series contender. Oh, yeah. No, that Workman and Embry trade, I, I'm looking on that. That's like a complete – that's almost robbery. Like Workman and Embry 
fell apart. Like both of them, the Phillies cut both of them. Workman became a free agent, but the Phillies just cut Emery. Yeah. Like, cause they were so, they were not good. And we got Pavetta and Seabold. We saw Pavetta at the end of the season. Like he looked, he looked rather good. Seabold by all accounts did well at, in Pawtucket at the alternate site. So, I mean, that looked like that looks like a really good trade. Yeah, so I think what his, what he's doing here is you accumulate enough prospects. You know, some are going to pan out and some aren't, but you build enough of them together and you're going to get some that are going to work out. And that's really um, what he's done with all these trades he's made, um, you know, over the, the last uh, year plus. I'm probably forgetting some. because he's You know, this guy is a real wheeler and dealer. He loves to make he loves to make trades. He was like that in Tampa Bay, too. The guy loves to make trades. And uh, you know we'll we'll see how it does, but I'm I'm excited about the direction that the organization is going in. Yeah, it might not be what fans want to see right now, um, and I think that this team this year is going to grow on people. Though, and I think that this team is going to be better than people think it's going to be, and I think they're going to bring um, some excitement back because this town hasn't really been excited about baseball since the 2018 World Series because that that 2019 season was just such a letdown. And then we didn't know that by 2020, they would have wished for a season like 2019. Um, but yeah, there was the hangover effect in 2019 and just the abyss that was last year with the Mookie trade and, and all the other problems that we already talked about. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think this this uh, this is going to be a fun team and, I, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing it play out. Oh yeah, no, I am as well. And um, we'll kind of stay in the direction of prospects here. Um, one guy who's really kind of boosted his stock since the summer of 2020 is Jaron Duran, who is the top center field prospect in the Red Sox system, if I'm not mistaken. And I've heard rumors basically since he started tearing up Pawtucket that he could come up mid-season this year. He could come up at the end of, se- of the season. He, I heard something about him potentially making the opening day roster a couple months ago and like, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on Duran and when he could be joining the. Yeah, club. first of all, I sort of fell in love with this kid watching him play last spring, um, and I because just like from um, it just brought back memories to me when I saw Jacoby Ellsbury first come up as a young kid, and when I first saw Jacoby Ellsbury in spring training, I'm like, wow, this kid can fly. He's exciting to watch, and it was the same thing with with um, with the. Duran. Uh, what I didn't realize at the time, what I'm starting to realize now is um, Duran's got a little more power than Ellsbury had at that stage of his career, where Ellsbury was mainly just a slap hitter um, with blazing speed when he came up. I think this, you know, and then he developed some power, some doubles and home run power as he got into his career. Um, this kid, he's already built some power. Um, and you saw that uh, in today's game, he had a rocket to right center for a home run. So, and he can fly and he can play center field. But the one thing they don't want to do, they realized there was no minor league season as well as he did at the ultimate site last year. There was no minor league season. So they just want to see him um, at AAA this year, I think. You know, I don't know if he start the season at AA or AAA. If he starts at AA, he's probably going to be there for two, three weeks and then go right up to AAA. But yeah, I think it's realistic that if things go well enough, you could see him by June, July, August. You know, somewhere around there as the as the center fielder for this team. I think they will start the year with with Alex Verdugo in center. And you could also play Kike Hernandez in center when you need to. And then you'll have, uh, you know, Cordero in left and uh, you'll have Rentro a lot in right. You'll have Marlon Gonzalez sort of subbing in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, you get Jared, Jaron Duran in this, in this 
playing center field for this team. And then suddenly you have Alex Verdugo back in right field and um, Cordero and uh, Renfro kind of can be your platoon in left field. Then suddenly this team looks a lot better, Michael. So that's something to definitely keep an eye on. I think it's one of the the key themes, uh, the key storylines entering this 2021 season for the Red Sox is, A, how good is Jaron Duran? And B, you know, when are we going to see him uh, in Boston? Yeah, I've I've also, like you, kind of been on the Duran hype train. <laughs> and I just kind of, I really started to notice it in 2020 when I was watching some of the alternate site scrimmages in Pawtucket. But yeah, I think he's, he's going to come up real soon. Um, and we'll kind of go shift base to one of the pitching prospects who made his debut last season, Tanner Houck, at the end of the year. He went three and zero in his three starts. He had an ERA under one. It was zero point five three. Entering as we're in spring training right now with the pitching additions the Red Sox have made, it's looking more and more likely that he is going to start in Triple A in Worcester. But if there's a scenario where somebody in the rotation or somebody in the bullpen gets hurt and misses really any kind of period of time. Would it be a safe assumption to say he would be one of the first to get a crack at that? Well, yeah, spot? I mean, that's, I mean, first of all, he hasn't thrown, I don't think he's thrown a pitch yet in spring training yet. So we got to see, we've got to see if he's still throwing the ball. He's got to kind of earn that, earn that distinction. You know what I mean? So he's got to show that, Hey, I'm your, you know, right now the rotation is five guys and Feta is the fifth guy. He's got to prove to them this spring that, Hey, I'm your sixth guy or I'm your seventh guy. And he's got to really, cause I think he kind of set an unfair expectation for himself because all we have um, to know him by right now, those three starts he had at the end of the season, which were so good and so fun and such a breath of fresh air to see that. But, you know, there were still some weaknesses in his game that we've heard about uh, trouble against lefties. And we're not going to know from three starts if this guy can pitch against lefties. Uh, you know, the Yankees were one of the teams he dominated last year. That's a very, uh, righty heavy lineup I can't remember exactly I think he, he also faced the uh, Marlins and the Braves and I can't remember off the top of my head if those if those were lefty heavy lineups either but so he's gonna have to prove that he can he can get righties and lefties out he's gonna have to prove that he has a solid like out for a third pitch because you're not going to get by with two pitches as a major league starter so this is a key development year for him and I think that he might even be a little bit behind Duran as far as uh, when we might see him could be a July or August thing because, um, you know, you just want to get him fully developed. You don't want, you know, he didn't get that full year at double A yet. So you want to see what he's got at double A, see if he can kind of conquer that level. Then you move him to triple A and see what he's got there. Just kind of move him up the ladder. One thing that Bloom said that was interesting was um, he doesn't believe in guys skipping steps in the minor leagues, where I think you saw when Dave Dombrowski was there. Um, a couple times, I want to say, Dombrowski called guys um, from double A to the majors. So Dombrowski didn't, that was in his philosophy to, to do that. Bloom doesn't share that philosophy. He pretty much wants everyone to go through every progression on the minor league train. So I think that you're going to see that with, uh, with Tanner Houck this year, and it's just a matter of how quickly he kind of cruises through those levels. But the, yeah, I think that, you know, the hype train, I'm, I'm more in on the hype that Jared and Duran hype train. I'm more sold that that's realistic. I'm not, as sold that um, Tanner Houck is like the next um, Bob Gibson or Pedro Martinez or even, uh, you know, Clay Buckles here. So I think we just have to let that one um, go a little bit. And, you know, you hope that because it's been forever since this team has developed a pitching prospect, starting pitching prospect. So you hope that whether it's um, Tanner Houck, whether it's Brian Mata, whether it's Jay Groom, 
Um, you hope that one of the Connor Seabold, you hope that one of these guys can sort of break through and give this team, you know, what is it? Uh, Felix Dubron is really the best um, starting pitching prospect of any substance that this team was able to develop. The last real significant one they developed was Clay Buckles. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're due to develop some pitching. Yeah, and you talked about Dombrowski bringing guys up to the majors right from double A. I think the most significant one that he did that from was Ben and Hendy. And yeah. I believe it was 2016 he did that. 2016, yeah. It was uh, right at the trade deadline, 2016. And, uh, you know, that, that move definitely paid dividends right away. So some, sometimes it works. But I think, um, I believe they didn't, they not also do the same thing with Yohan Mankata, uh, brought him right up from double A. I want to say I'd have to go back and look it up, but that was um, yeah, it, yeah, that was a train. Might have been him. Yeah, that was a train wreck at the time. You know, obviously, you know he's turned into a pretty good major league player, and you know he was a uh, you know they still were able to package him into Chris Sale, but so it works for some guys. You know, with other guys it doesn't. But uh, the, the key thing is just like Bloom's philosophy is get the you know don't take any shortcuts in uh, in development. Yeah, well, since you just talked about Chris Sale, I'm gonna. Talked about Chris Sale a little bit too. Um, obviously, he's on the mend from Tommy John surgery that he had in March of 2020. Uh, so, what's kind of the latest you've heard as an update on Chris Sale's progress? Yeah, I think they're really tempering expectations because, look, this is a guy who has um, this is the, his second year of a five year contract. Obviously, they got nothing out of it in the first year of the contract. And instead of saying, oh, we really need to make sure we maximize what we get in year two because we're paying $30 million, I think instead they're saying he's got three full years after that. We want to make sure that we treat him this year so we get the absolute best of Chris Sale in 2022, 23, and 24. And then this is kind of the year just to get Chris Sale back on his feet. And I think that's the good thing when you take bringing a guy like Heimblum. He didn't give him that contract. <clears throat> you know what I mean? That was that was Dave Dombrowski. So Bloom doesn't feel as much pressure for Sale to live up, you know, to that uh, to that deal. So he'll he'll be a little more cautious with it, and make sure that he gets the most out of him beginning next year. So I think that you get him back maybe June or July. Um, I'm sure I don't know how many innings they want to get out of him, but they'll they I'm sure they have a plan in their mind for how many they want to get. <clears throat> and he'll probably be on a pitch count. And probably be they're probably very conservative with him. Now, things could change a little if this team is, you know, really vying for a, a playoff spot and is better than people think. And, you know, then you're doing everything you can to win, you know, then all bets are off. But if the season goes like I think it will and they're sort of on the fringes of contention, you know, I think they'll be very conservative with Sale. And like I said, just have him build, build that momentum. So next year he's the Chris Sale that's pitching opening day in 2022 and he's your staff base for the next three years. Yeah, we – uh Certainly hope that Sale can get back to that, but of course we'll have to wait and see. Um, so we'll go to sort of, we're in spring training, so some of the bench spots are still uh, trying to get figured out. Obviously a lot of guys in the mix, uh, but what are some of the position battles in spring training that really we should know about? Yeah, as far as uh, position battles in spring training, we look at it first base, it looks like Bobby Dahlbeck's position to lose. I mean, he... Had eight homers and 80 at bats at the end of last season, but he also, you know, he had his pair, his share of strikeouts. And you also have Michael Chavis sort of fighting for, you know, to, to keep his name relevant. So Dahlbeck is really going to have to, uh, and he's looked good early in camp, Dahlbeck has. 
Do I think that signs are encouraging that this kid is going to be a first baseman? But that's still, you know, it's yet to be determined. He'll have to prove that he's worthy of that. Um, second base, I think that, you know, it looks like Kike, for the first time in a long time since Manny Machado um, decapitated Dustin Bedroya's knee in 2017, this team, I think, has some stability at second base where it looks like Kike is going to be your guy. You know, Alex Gore did mention that there would be some games where Kike starts in center, but he said he's always going to finish games in the infield because he's an elite uh, infield defender. So I think that second base is pretty much going to be uh, Kike. Um, and then, you know, I think the, the other spots are, that are really up for grabs are really the corner outfield spots because you look, you know, I think, like I said, you're going to start for Dugo. He's going to open as your center fielder. And then it's these guys like Frenchy Cordero and Marlon Gonzalez and Hunter Renfro. They're going to be vying for other, you know, playing time in the outfield there so we're going to see and then core could be doing a lot of mixing and matching i mean one thing we learned in, in 2018 and we even saw this in the playoffs remember how much he loved to mix and match look at you know it was whether it was eduardo nunez or whether it was brock holt or um whoever it was back then he you know uh steve pierce and you know mitch Moreland. he loved to sort of play the combinations and that's what makes cora so good as a manager is he has a hunch um not just a hunch but he has a feel for the right matchups he studies it hard he studies videos he studies numbers so i think he'll have a lot of fun and you, you might not see as many set regulars in this lineup you might see a lot more mixing matching where i mean the thing the positions you know are set are like catcher set Christian Vasquez is your catcher. He's going to play probably eight games out of 10. Um, Xander Bogart is your shortstop. He's going to play nine games out of 10. Rafael Devers is your third baseman. He's going to play um, eight or nine games out of 10 unless he takes another, you know, unless he regresses on defense again like he did last year. Um, and Verdugo is going to be in there most of the time. But aside from that, and J.D. will be DHing. but aside from that, you have three or four spots probably um, that you're going to see, I think, a good bit of mixing and matching. And, uh, you know, it's going to be, I think, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that plays out and what kind of production they can get. Sometimes you get um, strength in numbers where it's not just one guy holding down a position, but, you know, you get kind of um, collective production from a position. And I think that, you know, that, that's what Alex Gore is going to be looking at, at you know, quite a few positions this year. Yeah, and you sort of talking about mixing and matching with these uh, sort of bench spot battles. So, I mean, if you had to take a wild guess, who who can possibly win these battles? Who could be on the bench on opening day? Yeah, well, the interesting thing is with their um, with how versatile these guys are. Alex Cora is playing right now as to carry a three man bench and to carry a fourteen man uh, pitching staff going into the season. So that will leave you know Kevin Pluecki is obviously the backup catcher. That's one bench player. Then Marwin Gonzalez is your other bench player. And then they're looking at the competition for the final bench spot, really, between Michael Chavis and Christian um, Arroyo. So I think that's the battle. The interesting thing, Chavis still has options. Christian Arroyo does not have a minor league option. And then, you know, a guy like Jairo Munoz, who swings a good bat. I mean, he's another guy who could play his way um, into the fringes or onto the bubble for the, for the back end of the roster. But I think that right now they're leaning toward um, that Christian Arroyo is going to be the 26th man. But, uh, you know, Chavis did uh, crush one the other day. And he's still, uh, you know, he, he, he's got to prove that, that he can hit at this level. He just hasn't done it consistently enough uh, just yet. So I think it's really Chavis and Arroyo sort of battling it out for the final spot on the bench. I like Arroyo to win the job because it gives the organization more flexibility because then you keep both players in the organization where Arroyo doesn't make the team, then he probably gets claimed by another team. 
Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, that's pretty much the bench situation. It's Arroyo with no options. It's Chavis with options, I believe. Does, does Munoz also have options or is he? Uh, Munoz, Munoz is, he's, he's not a, a rostered player right now. So he can just start the season oh. in the minor leagues. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's like an invite to spring training. He was outrighted. He had already been outrighted by the team and they had sort of reassigned him um, in the minor league. So he can just start in the minors and that's why i don't think he makes the team because once you know once you cut him after that then you have to uh you know then you have to designate him or whatever for assignment because he doesn't have options so they'll keep him as long as they can um, but he's a guy who could hit he's an interesting guy to me the cardinals were once very high on him uh, i don't know exactly what happened between he and the cardinals it wasn't a pretty falling out that they had but uh, he's another guy who intrigues me every time i see him it seems like he's doing nothing but uh you know hitting line drives so he's a guy I'd like to i think the worcester fans will uh will enjoy watching him early in the season and maybe he gets up to you know gee, you just never know what kind of attrition you're gonna have through the course of a season with injuries i mean everything looks great in spring training michael right everybody's gonna play 100 and everybody's gonna be healthy for six months in spring training everyone's in the best shape of your life and then the season starts and somebody pulls a hamstring and um, it kind of things change so you know the guys like guy gyro munez and michael chavis um, those could be important guys this season to be ready in, in the event somebody else is injured yeah all right um so we we look at all the depth we've looked at the bench spots we've kind of looked at the refurbished pitching staff so with all that in mind we'll kind of wrap it up here with this what is obviously didn't win a lot of games last season so what is looking like a realistic win total for this season. Yeah, I'm on the, uh, I'm firmly on the 85 to 88 win train for this team. I think everything just goes perfect. I think they win about, um, you know, 88, 89 games. They're right in contention for that, for that second wild card spot. And then uh, even if everything doesn't go quite perfect, I still think that just like I said with Alex Cora and the way he can get the most out of people, I think you're looking at 85 wins. Now, if they have some more key injuries like they did last year to key guys, um, then you're down to that 80 to 78, to 76 um, win mark. But I, I'm going to say if you're right now, I'm going to predict they're going to win uh, 87 games this season. All right, guys, there's your number. It's 87. Uh, 87 wins. All right. Well, we'll it's see. Actually, it's actually more than they won in 2019. So, uh, that yeah, would be... it was 84 in 2019, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we'll that's what I'm, I'm taking an optimistic take, um, right now. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the Florida, maybe it's being down here in the Florida sun, but uh, yeah, I'll go, I'm going with 87 right now. Yeah. The Florida sun as opposed to the new England cold, but Hey, why not? It's the start of spring training. You're allowed to be optimistic. Yeah, exactly. All right. So that is going to do it for our episode of the podcast this time. Guest Ian Brown, Red Sox reporter for MLB.com. Thanks for coming on and talking baseball. All right, Michael. That was a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this special season finale episode of the Strikeout Central podcast with Red Sox reporter Ian Brown of MLB.com. Be sure to follow Ian on Twitter at Ian M. Brown. If you would like to read about baseball news by the day as it happens, be sure to check out the Strikeout Central website at www.strikeoutcentral.blogspot.com for daily baseball posts. Stay tuned to the season two premiere coming soon. I'm your host, Michael. Have a good day, and happy baseball season.